0: Chapter forty, as we look, continuing the story of Joseph, and uh, we're we're at the point in the story where he's in prison. So he's gone from being a part with his family uh, and kind of the conflict that's going on with his family to um, now he's uh, been sent as a slave to Egypt, sold as a slave to Egypt, and then um, accused. Of uh, in a sense, molesting his his uh, master 's wife and thrown in prison uh, and it 's not just any prison it 's the king 's prison so i 'm sure it 's like the we would call a high security prison right but even in something that we would say is awful and terrible yet god 's light and god 's presence is still there and what we 're going to look at this morning is the sovereignty of God in joseph 's story as we, as we notice the, hit, the this God's working behind the scenes. And the big idea this morning is that we should rejoice in sovereignty as we wait on him. We should rejoice in God's sovereignty as we wait on him. Now, the, the challenge with that, if, at least from my perspective, is uh, I, I don't, don't often like to, to be kind of under the control of someone else. Like, you remember being at school, right? And just how the teacher... Uh, basically planned your entire day, you know, back in elementary school. Uh, I'm convinced that some kids just uh, just act out in school just because they just don't like the fact that someone is telling them what to do basically every second of the day, you know what I mean? And, and yet that's, what, that's not the picture of God's sovereignty that we have here, and yet at the same time God is sovereign in, in all of these details that, that come through. He has brought brought Joseph in a sense all the way down to the lowest point, a slave in a prison, in a high security prison in Egypt, and yet he's in the process of bringing him to the highest point, and and that's God's God's work in our lives as well. So as as we look at this, what we need to understand is God's sovereignty isn't um, like a puppet master playing with strings. It's it's more this is moving in our hearts, moving in situations, doing things that we can't control in order to get what, what we couldn't control anyway to be accomplished. And so we need, we can, as we look at this story, my whole hope is that you walk out of this story rejoicing in God's sovereignty, recognizing that he is working even in your life. And as we wait on him, that, 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 that that we can trust that sovereignty, we can walk in it and we can rejoice in it. So let's look at Genesis chapter 40 and look at the first point here this morning, which is that God is sovereign over the weight, and therefore we should trust Him. Genesis chapter forty. <clears throat> it says sometime after this, that after he's in prison, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt, and Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Jesus, Joseph, was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them, and they continued for some time in custody. And, and so you get the sense with this story that, that, that time is being compressed, right? That there, there's, just, there's just things happening. It's a day-to-day type of thing, and yet at some point in time, They both dreamed a dream. It says one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt. They were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with his own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw they were troubled, so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody of his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? Which, if you think about just for a second, is Joseph's serving, he's he's working, he's doing good even in a difficult situation. You know, he could have just, okay, I'm, I'm charged these guys, I make sure they get food, that's my job, I'm fine. But he, he notices them, he cares for them, even in this kind of situation, and he asked them, you know, why do you look down today? They said to him, we have had dreams, and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the, jo- the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream there's a vine, before me, and on the vine there are three branches, and as soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, pressed them into the Pharaoh's cup, and placed them, placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Now, just for a second here before we just you're into kind of video gaming uh, a little bit, it's so like oh, kind of next level achievement unlocked. You can now interpret dreams. You know what I mean? Um, there's a sense Joseph of this progression that's there, and at the same time, this is all sovereignty in, in sovereignly in God's hands. He's 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 moving this out, and he's allowing Joseph to provide these interpretations these, to these dreams in order to do something else. It's not just that he would it, that these dreams would be interpreted. Joseph says. Verse 14, only remember me when it is well with you, and please do the kindness to, to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. He's like, I'm doing you a favor, interpreting your dream, do a favor for me, get me out of here. You know what I mean? You're going to have some influence when you get back with Pharaoh. I don't deserve to be here. You know, it's the classic line of any jailbird, so to speak, right? I don't deserve to be here, right? But it's, obviously, we know it's true, right? It says, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and there, here also I have done nothing that they should make, put me into the pit so you, you do get an idea of what the, the jail is like. It's, it's probably some kind of pit, and there's sections to the pit. We talk about the, the, the captain of the guard's house in the pit. And so there's, it's probably a large area that's, that, that you'd have to get, get vertically out of to get out of. Um, but they're all in this together, and Joseph's saying, get me out of here when you can. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days, and three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. This is definitely a play on words, right? He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup of Pharaoh in Pharaoh's hand, and he, but he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Here's the key. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Now, if you're Joseph at this stage in the game, what are you thinking, in a sense, right? Because we get all this information that does no good. (laughs) You know, there's no good. Like, okay, yeah, so you had the chief baker, the chief cupbearer for for Pharaoh under your control. You had influence with them, you blessed them, and then nothing happens. You're still stuck in the pit. And... At this point in the story, we've been talking about the fact that, in a sense, there's always two stories going through here. There's the story that's that's happening and, that, that we can see, and then there's a the story that's that's behind the scenes that you really you can't, you can't see, but is still controlling the story. Because from all intents and purposes, Joseph is at the lowest point of, in, in his we he doesn't know it, but he's at the lowest point in his life he from all intents and purposes for joseph he's at the end of his story. you know what i mean how did how did you live well, I was born in canaan i i my my brother sold me into slavery, I was falsely accused I end up in prison I die in prison right that's that's like that's that's what he thinks his story is going to be um and And yet, there's another story going on here. And that's God's story. God is at work behind the scenes. And at this point in the story, you could say, God, why didn't you get me out? I mean, perfect opportunity, God. The chief cupbearer comes. I, I tell him his dream. I give him a break, and he forgets me. But... Think about it from God's story perspective. What would have happened if Joseph would have gotten out of prison now? Ever think about that? Like, like if Joseph would have gotten out of prison now, he would have been out of prison, probably destitute in Egypt. Maybe he can get back to Canaan to see his family. Maybe he doesn't want to, you know. Maybe he's just stuck in Egypt, right? Maybe working menial labor in some job somewhere just trying to survive you see God's sovereignty in our story is something that we have to believe by faith we have to understand that as we look at what God is doing that he is doing things beyond what we can see even in our story that's why Hebrews eleven six says without faith it is impossible to please God for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him Joseph has to believe that in his story, as he's seeking God, that even though it's like, oh, I've reached the bottom, (laughs) and not only have I reached the bottom, I've forgotten, like nobody cares. But in the midst of this, he still believes that God rewards those who seek him. He still trusts in that. He still believes that that is true. And yet, that's not an easy place to be. I'm not saying that this is an easy place to be, where you're trusting God in the midst of your story, but you still have to wait to see what is going to happen next. That's not an easy place to be, right? Have you been there before, where you're waiting on God, like, God, what's next? What am I supposed to do how am I supposed to live? I, there, there's so many it's just uncertainty. There's so many unanswered questions. There's no, no clear direction as to how to move forward next. And while you wait, trusting on God is, is a hard place to be sometimes. I would just suggest a couple of things to do while you wait. Just maybe practical things to think about. First of all, do the good you can in a sense. Do the good you can. You will be presented opportunities, even in this story, Joseph does the good he, ca- he, co- he could, right? He, 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 he cares, he not just does his job, but he cares for the people underneath him. He's concerned about their needs. He seeks, he, he seeks to, he didn't have to seek to interpret their dreams, but he, but he still believes God's sovereign, even in the midst of him stuck in prison. He's like, dreams belong to God. Let's talk about them, right? He, he understands the sovereignty of God and he does the good that, he, that he's in front of him. This this week, uh, we had our men's retreat. And on Saturday, one of the things that they do, usually they try to do on the retreat is they do some kind of work project. And so we were at the Y camp and um, and they were like, hey, uh, we, the, we, they had asked, is there anything we can do for you while we're here? And uh, so... Tuesday, uh, in the afternoon, they're like, "Hey, yeah, we've got, um, we've got this basically these horse corrals that that we we keep horses in to help the kids experience you know horsemanship over the summer, um, but uh, but nobody's been taking care of them recently, so they're in pretty bad disrepair, and we, you know, so there's like thirty, there's probably thirty of us guys there at the retreat, and we're like, okay, yeah, who, who knows how to put fences up? And four guys raise their hands, you know, like, like okay, you're in charge, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so we divide up into like four groups, and we're just working, put it, replacing fence posts, stretching fence, replacing fence, trying to get the fencing back in order so the horses, the, the hor- so they can do good. And of course, is it, is it anything big? No, it's not really anything big, but we, we did save, you know, 30 guys working on fencing saves two people working on fencing, a lot of man hours, you know what I mean? And, uh, and so uh, we, we got the corrals uh, back at least somewhat in, in a better shape than they were, and, and it was just a little thing, but again, God presents you different opportunities that in some ways are just little things in your life, but there are things you can do. Do the good you can, it's, it's, it's good to do that. When you say, well, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know. There's all these unanswered questions. Well, you still have today, and you might have tomorrow to do the good that you can right where you're at. It's, just do that. God's, God's got it under control. And if God's got it under control, you, can, you cannot focus on all the unanswered questions. You can focus on at least what you can do right now here today. Another thing I think you do while you wait is you pray, right? Because prayer reminds us of the God that we serve. Prayer keeps our focus correct. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter seven, right? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. For which one of you, if his son asks him for a bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Prayer reminds us that God is a good Father, that he gives good gifts, and even though he hasn't maybe given you the gifts that you want yet, like certainty and direction, and I know where I'm headed here, and I'm free to head that direction, yet it reminds you that he is still in charge and he is still good and he is a God who gives good gifts to his children. So, so pray while you wait. It's good to do that. Another thing I think that is important here is to find what I would call rhythmic joys and I'm not talking about finding rhythm because some of us could never find it. Um, Even if we were asked to find it, right? Um, Finding rhythmic joys. By that I mean finding the daily, the weekly, the yearly joys that are as you're waiting, finding those joys. The daily joys of just maybe time with family or, or even just looking out and seeing a beautiful sunrise. Maybe weekly joys of gathering together with believers. Maybe it's, it's a weekly joy of, of a certain friend and conversation with that friend. Maybe it's a, a yearly joy of, for instance, the men's retreat, which I always look forward to every year. Finding those rhythmic joys that, that provide that sense of, hey, God is still here, God is at work. God, there's, there's joys to find in the midst of life. I think especially when I think of waiting in some ways i think especially of motherhood motherhood for the first let's say 6 7 years of of your child's life is a lot of waiting on god because you're like what's going on here and you're just in a sense surviving find the rhythmic joys find the joys that come from your children's laughter find the rhythmic joys of of even of bedtimes and and uh and times weekly where you're able to do fun things together. And just to remember to do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. As, as we focus on those joys and, and we move away from grumbling and complaining, it keeps our focus right and it allows us to run with joy even as we're waiting on God. The last one, I would put it this way, is refocus your purpose on being with God and knowing Him. Psalm 73, 28 puts it this way, But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works, when you're waiting on God, realizing that the most important thing is not direction from God, it's the fact that you know God and you can be with God. I was talking to my brother-in-law, who's um, there. They he was in ministry for a while, and uh, then he felt like God was moving him out of ministry, so he's been in a construction job for a while, um, kind of a, kind of a G general contractor kind of position. And uh, he's just thinking, well, maybe we should get back into ministry. Maybe we shouldn't. I don't. And he's just in that place of waiting. <laughs> and he's like, well, how does, my, how does my family work right now? Like, how does this work? Because they, their family's life was all about ministry when it was ministry. And, and how, do you, how do you refocus your family's purpose in that sense? And we talked about the fact that in some ways it's just about refocusing yourself on the joys of being with God. Not of doing for God, but just being with him. You know, that time to, to be in the Word, that time to, to see Him in, in action, even in small things. The fact that you can know Him and know His faithfulness and His kindness and His mercy. Because ultimately, that is what we're, we're called to do any right, is to know God and enjoy Him forever. And some, we, sometimes we get caught up so much on doing for God that we just don't recognize that we need to be with Him. And so as we're waiting those are just three or four things that you think about praying and remembering that those daily and weekly and yearly joys that you have and refocusing your purpose on being with him and knowing him in the midst of life but that is not where the story ends in that sense joseph forgotten because god is still sovereign he's moving a direction and Point number two here is God is sovereign over the direction. Look back to keep going forward, and you'll see what I mean here in just a minute. But because the direction here is clear. Joseph is forgotten sovereignly by God so that he ends up not free on the streets of, of Cairo or wherever the, the, the Pharaoh was at at the moment, but so that he could be brought into Pharaoh's presence and made second in command. Notice what it says, Genesis 41 here. It says, after two whole years, so that's a long time in some ways to be forgotten, right? Two more whole years. Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, "'Ugly and thin came out of the Nile after them "'and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile, "'and the ugly thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows, "'and Pharaoh awoke. "'And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time, "'and behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, "'were growing on one stalk. "'And behold, after them sprouted, sprouted seven ears, "'thin and blighted by the, by the east wind, "'and the thin ears, thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears.' And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Right? Not, you don't tell everyone all of your dreams, but this one, obviously, he's like, this means something. I'm troubled by it. And he called for, for them to interpret his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. And so then, here, here's the key, right? Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. This is a risk for him, right? Because to bring up something where, yeah, Pharaoh, remember you were mad at me one time? Um, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in, and the chief baker in custody of, in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, each, he and I each having a dream with his own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one to interpret it. I have heard it said of you that, you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came out of the Nile. He explains the dreams again. Then, verse 25, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what is he about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows... And the, uh, that came after them are seven years. And the seven empty years blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is told, it is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout the land of Egypt. But after them, there will also arise seven years of famine. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by the reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be severe." And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God. God will shortly bring it about. Just remember, God sometimes provides prophecy in the sense that he brings repentance and change. Here, he, Joseph saying, this is going to happen regardless. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man, set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land, basically tax, a tax of 20%, right? During the seven years, plentiful years, and let them gather all this, these good years that are coming and store up the grain until the authority of Pharaoh, under the authority of Pharaoh, for food in the series, cities and let them keep it. That food shall be reserved for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can, I, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, "'Since God has shown you all this, "'there is none so discerning and wise as you are. "'You shall be over all my house, "'and all my people shall order themselves as you command. "'Only as you regard regards the throne, "'I will I be greater than you.' "'And Pharaoh said to Joseph, "'See that I have set you over all the land of Egypt.' "'Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand "'and put it on Joseph's hand "'and clothed him in garments of fine linen "'and put a gold chain about his neck, "'and he made him ride in his second chariot, "'and they called out before him, "'Bow the knee,' Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up a hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paniah and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. So Joseph went about over all the land of Egypt, and Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years the earth produced abundantly and gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. And he put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it for it could not be measured. In one day, Joseph goes from in the prison to second in command. That's, again, at God's sovereign hand, right? God moves Joseph to be in this position. Not only, you see, you see the themes of this story, this story so far, right? We've, clothing is always a key aspect of the stories that we've, what we've seen so far. And again, here we see clothing made a part of it, right? Joseph is given Pharaoh's signet ring, and he's put on, in a sense, the clothes not of a slave, but of a of a grand vizier so to speak the second in command the pharaoh's clothes he's he's given these but but behind this this is not this is not okay man let's 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 get in pharaoh's good graces this is not a story about getting in pharaoh's good graces this is a story of you seeing that god is in control of of even pharaoh he's in control of joseph's story but he's in control of pharaoh too because he moves pharaoh to put joseph in charge the the story shows that god ultimately is in charge not Pharaoh, not Joseph, not anyone else. He's the one who's in charge. And he gives, Pharaoh gives Joseph close to give, show him authority and honor, but that just ultimately reflects God's rule over the entire situation. And as we think about God's sovereignty over Joseph's story, we, we have to realize that we're in a, a similar story even though it's different. Because God's story has continued to move on from Joseph and Jesus has come and he's, he's died on the cross and he's rose again and he's ascended to, to God's right hand. And we're in the midst of this story where we're waiting on Jesus to return, right? Like Jesus one day is going to return for us and he's going he's to welcome us and, and uh, we're going to be, in a sense, second in command, right? Under Jesus. You know, the scripture hopefully, right? Revelation 20, verse 6, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over the second over such the second death has no power, and they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. You know, we're in the midst of waiting, but we're not just waiting for God to give us the next job or the next the situation, the good situation, or the next answer answer to our problems. We're really waiting. For Christ to return. That's really what we're waiting for. And, and one day he's going to return and he's going to welcome us to himself and we're going to be with him. And it says here that we are going to rule and reign with Christ. That, that, that God's goal for us is not simply to take care of our, our, our health problems or not simply to take care of our money problems or not take, simply to take care of our, of our relationship problems. But his goal for us is in our suffering to prepare us to rule and reign with him. Do you get that? Right. We, we talked l- last week about how suffering is, in a sense, preparing for— J- Jesus had to go through suffering to be our Savior, to rule and reign over us, to rescue us from sin and death. And God is in the process of us, of suffering, going through suffering, not just so that we can say, oh, well, I'm a better person through suffering— but for us to say, I'm I'm going to be one day placed at Christ's right hand to rule and reign with him, to be a part of of his rule over the earth. That's God's goal for us. That's God's direction for us, just as it was God's direction for Joseph. Joseph wasn't going to be the king. He isn't even in the line of the king, of kings, Jesus, right? He's just, in some ways, he's just preparing for Judah to, to... to rule and reign. And and we're in the same boat. We're in the boat of being being a part of God's rule and command. We're not going to rule and reign ultimately. We are part of the one who is going to rule and reign ultimately. Jesus Christ. But but think of it says Joseph was 30 when this happened. So 13 years. 13 years from when Joseph was with his family to now when he's not part of the family, you know, he's, you know, he's at least out of slavery, right? We haven't fully restored the family yet. Do you think Joseph 17 was like, yeah, what I really want to fulfill, you know, to fulfill God's role for my life is I, I want to be second in command of Egypt, Right? I mean, that's dreaming big, right? And let's just dream big for our lives. But it's not about dreaming big. Like, Joseph wouldn't even necessarily have wanted this, right? He'd be like, no, really, what I want is, you know, taking care of my family, being with my family. But, but God has a bigger plan for us, it, it involves more than what we want, but it ultimately will satisfy us ultimately. And we have to remember this even about what we're going through in our lives. We we have to remember that we're more like Joseph at 17 (laughs) than we want to realize. Like we're going through our lives and we're doing our thing and we think we know what we want out of our lives but God has a bigger plan for us. He is doing more than we can imagine, more than we can understand and he has a plan to sovereignly make us a part of his rule and reign on the earth. Frankly, most of us don't really want to rule with Christ right now, right? Like, I'm like, Meh. do I really want, I don't know, <laughs> yeah, right? It sounds kind of interesting, but I can think of some better things I'd like to do, <laughs> maybe, right? Like, I just want tomorrow to go well, or I just want you know, these relationships to work out, or I would, you know, I really want inflation to just stop going up, right? That's what I really want. And God's like, no, there's, there's more to life than those things. I, I want you to walk in my spirit. I want you to, to, to be a part of my rule, and, and I'm molding and shaping you so that you can be a part of this, and that you not only can be, that you want to be a part of this. This is why we've been given the spirit of God, not simply so that we can survive this life, but that we can ultimately be prepared to rule and reign with him, just like Joseph who had the spirit. I'm reminded of John chapter 16, verse 13, where it says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that that he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. The Spirit is at work in us. Not so that we can just survive, but so that we can glorify Christ. That's his goal of being in us, is to glorify Christ, to help us to want to glorify Christ and to make him known. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Like, there's this process that God is working in our lives. He wants to move us from, away from being 17 like Joseph and just being concerned about who's going to be in charge of the family. And he's moving us so that we care about others, that we want to bless others, and that we can rule and reign with Christ one day and delight in doing so. Now, I said, take a look back to look forward in this sense, because we have to look back and see that, you know what, when I was 17, I wanted certain things, and God's changed me, and maybe you're not even 17 yet, uh, but you're looking back in your life, and you're saying, you know what, the things that I wanted before are, are things that God has changed in my life, and now I now have different desires, different goals, different dreams, that hopefully line up more with God's. Jesus put it the opposite way. He said, any man who takes, puts his hand to the plow and looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And what, what he means by looking back there is looking back with the desire to go back to that, to go back and be there again. And we, sometimes we have that desire, right? Like, I wish I could go back to my 20s, or I wish I could go back to, I don't know, Pick a time period, right? When they're like, this, this was life, this was good. And God's like, no, <laughs> this life is not where it's at. It's, it's, it's the kingdom of God and what I'm going to create in the resurrection. That's worth looking forward to. That's what we keep our eyes on. And so we look back to go forward in the sense of saying, look, this is where it was at, but this is where I'm headed. <laughs> We don't look back with rose-colored glasses like, oh, look, this is so great. We look with realistic glasses like, yes, there were some good things, but God wasn't finished with me yet, and there's some things in the future he's still going to do. That keeps you looking forward. That keeps you going forward. Whether you're 80 or you're 8, you can realize that God isn't finished with you yet. He's still at work. And that's why we need to be reminded that God's purpose is providential. We need to see the joy in front of us. God's purpose is providential. Joseph here is, it's just not about saying, okay, Joseph, okay, we're going we're to take care of all the bad stuff, but he, God is doing something that's bigger, right? Notice what it says at the end of chapter 41. Where it says, I'm going to pull that up myself now. It says before the year of famine came, so during those seven years, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, "God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house." The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, there was famine in all the lands, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth Came to Egypt as to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. Of course, we know where this is headed. This is headed toward Joseph's family coming back. Because God isn't just interested in raising Joseph, He's interested in raising Joseph in order for Joseph to bless. And in this sense, Joseph is blessing the entire earth, just as a picture of Christ. But we're reminded that, that there's something to look forward to. There's joy that God has, that God in his providential hand is doing something greater. I mean, Joseph could have thought when he gets, if, again, just think about it. If Joseph would have gotten out, Joseph could have said, I, forget my family. You know, they sold me into slavery. I'm just going to go find a job in, I don't know, in Egypt somewhere, right? just going to make a life for myself. But, but God's, in God's providential plan, he's drawing, he's not just putting Joseph off. he's also drawing Joseph's family back together. Then I'm reminded of Hebrews 12, verse 2, right? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And we talked about this last sweep, right? Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood he likewise that is christ partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil and deliver all those who were who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery god wasn't just interested in raising up jesus and saying look here's my son he was interested in raising up jesus why to set us free from the fear of death to set us free from the bondage that comes from that to give us eternal life you see the joy that is behind God's sovereignty? He's not just interested in saying, look how, look how in control I am. He's interested in showing us, look, I can give you eternal life if you trust me. I've got this plan that I want to call all people to myself and to resolve the differences between us through Christ and bring us fully back to him forever. So the question is, are we, are we trusting in that sovereignty? Are we looking forward to that sovereignty, to what God's plan is? And 1 John, John puts it this way, And now, little children, abide in him that is in Christ, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shriek from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. This is the hope that we have, that we look forward to Christ's return. We're saying, I want to be like Christ. I want to be with Christ. And yes, we're in a mode of waiting. We, we can't see the future yet. We, we can see hints of the future. We can see wars and rumors of wars. We can see injustices happening. We can see hatred growing. And yet God is still in control. Christ is going to return. That is God's plan. And he is sovereignly moving that forward, and we're a part of it if we're trusting in him. And yes, it's hard to wait, but Peter puts it this way. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is what we get to look forward to. This is what, the hope that we have. This is the joy that Christ looked forward to, where, where a whole fan, the whole family of God could finally be together. You know, we're kind of at the stage of the year where you start looking forward to Thanksgiving, right? Like, okay thanksgiving's coming the family could be together again uh you could that, that joy that comes from that god is looking forward to the day when we're all gathered to him when we all get to rejoice in being in his presence and in the meantime we have to wait yes but we can pray and we can do the good that we can and we can remember that we get to walk with God and know his presence with us. So will you wait with joy? Will you wait with that sense of God is is in control? I can trust his sovereignty and even though I don't know all the pieces and I don't know how all the pieces even fit together, yet he is in control and I can trust that. Will you wait on him? by trusting him. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ. You've, you've just said, you know what, it's, it sounds cool that Jesus died on the cross and everything, but it's not for me. It's not, it doesn't matter to me. No, this can be a, a part of your story too. This is the, 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 the story behind the story, that Christ came and he died on the cross to rescue you from sin and death, so that even in the midst of all the things that are going on in this world, God is going to rule and reign one day. He's going to rescue us from sin and death. Will you trust him Romans 10, 13 says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever calls, anybody can call, no matter who you are. Even a slave in the midst of a prison in Egypt, falsely accused, can call on God. We can call on God, too. We wait on him looking forward to the joy. What are you looking forward to? Is it Thanksgiving? Or maybe it's Black Friday? or maybe it's Christmas, or maybe it's something else. Let's look forward to Christ's return. Let's remember he's coming. We're going to see him as he is one day, and we're going to be like him. Let's walk in that hope. Let's live with that joy. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the, the hope that we have, that in Christ he's going to return and we're waiting for that day just as joseph had to wait and sometimes we going to get impatient in the wait, and we can forget that you are sovereignly in control that you have a better plan than the plan that we can think for ourselves so help us to trust you in the midst of doubt in the midst of uh, not knowing what's going to happen in the midst of suffering lord May we remember that you are in control and that your plan is good and that we can trust it. Help us, just like Jesus did, to despise the shame, to look forward to the joy, and trust in you in your son's name.